Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now one of the great stories that we have in our modern culture is the story that is really not talked about very much and this is the story of the soul crisis and we know we have a soul crisis because we have a disjointed world and at its bottom we have this ongoing tug and pull between science and religion and this is the debate that has extended throughout history and that still exists in our modern world and perhaps in our modern world this crisis this debate has taken on new meaning maybe a new evolutionary form uh, we we have a hard time with this debate I think because we have a hard time with the terms what do we mean by science what do we mean by religion and what do we mean by the soul all deep topics that are perhaps interpreted in the eye of the beholder but we know a tug of war is going on because many of us feel detached from our true selves which raises another question what is the true self this is probably the one of the key quests of both spirituality and philosophy and again is a topic that has been a deep mystery throughout time the good news is that we have a lot of original and deep thinkers confronting this question the question of the soul crisis through modern eyes through original thinking and I'm happy to have one of those people on the show today his name is Tim Freaky. he's the author of about 20 to 30 books he he is uh, well known in this area he has a BA in philosophy he his books have been translated into about 15 different languages including international bestseller and daily telegraph book of the year he's joining us from overseas from the United Kingdom today he uh, I have to say that uh, of all folks out there he is as I may have indicated one of the most original thinkers we have with us and uh, his new book which we're gonna be talking about today is called soul story evolution and the purpose of life uh, listen in I think this is going to be one of those uh, hopefully uh, envelope breaking envelope mind expanding shows Tim welcome to the show thank you <clears throat> it's a real uh, real honor to be on the show Phil well I it, it, it's been a while and I, I'm really impressed by your work uh, first of all for those who have not who are not familiar with Tim he is uh, not only is an original thinker but his new book it's written in a I, I call it like an Emily Dickinson kind of style where uh, 
you 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 sort of eschew capital letters a lot in in the normal paragraph structure, and uh, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I think that uh, owing to the originality of the content, the presentation uh, is also is also very creative. And uh, I, I'll talk about that a little bit. But first, let's let's set the stage a little bit here, Tim. Would you consider this book? Uh, something along the lines of a life work, of a life's work? Yes. Yeah, as you said, I've written a lot of books. In my own estimation, this is by far the most important and where everything has come to. A lot of what I've written about has been about other traditions and then more recently trying to provide a way of understanding awakening philosophically but also practically that's that's mainly what i do mainly i look at how we can change consciousness but in the background you know i'm a philosopher and what i've been looking for is how can i develop a philosophy a story a way of seeing reality a world view which encompasses the whole of my experience which includes that kind of mechanical reality that science describes so well but also a, a, a totally magical reality which spirituality deals with how can life be both and i couldn't find a off-the-shelf philosophy and i've been looking for the last four decades i guess uh, so during my life i've been putting together that and i'm now ready to share that with people in the spirit of saying look we're in a very mysterious Life is very mysterious, profoundly so. This is a way of seeing what we're in, which brings together those poles of our experience. What What do you think? Yeah, the you know, as you were as you were saying there, it reminded me of something Bob Dylan said when he wrote and recorded "Blood on the Tracks," which of course now is sort of old. But what he said was, he said. I went out to the to the record stores and nothing resonated with me. Nothing was telling my story. I had to tell my own story that was coming from my own creativity, and that, that I, that's you know, it. It's that's really, it exactly. It's, for, it's I think really for me. It yeah. was. There was, there was, I mean, I mean, your show is a fine example of. You know, there's a lot of people out there right now trying to bring together these two poles of our human knowledge, the spiritual and the scientific. But it's not easy. And what's happening at the moment is that there's been quite a lot of work done, but it's done by sacrificing the very essence of spirituality, often, actually. Yeah. And one of the key things for me was the nature of uh, soul and the nature of immortality. It's because there's a lot of movements which reduce spirituality to a kind of a form of quantum physics or something right. like that, but which is very interesting, and I, I, I'm all for exploring it, but it doesn't really address the, the fundamental things that make up spirituality, which is the intuition that the that, that death is not the end, which is life is full of this this you know synchronous event story that there's a there's a magic to what happens sometimes there's a direct magic where you can intend things and they happen there's certainly um, a lot more going on than 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 a mere mechanical reality now how can that be true, I guess, is the question which I've wrestled with, given that there is also clearly a mechanical reality without an understanding of it. You and I couldn't be connecting right now in different countries over the Internet. So it's very powerful, that understanding. And yet it's not it doesn't it doesn't explain my actual experience of living. 
where the most important thing is the way that the story of Tim unfolds and the fact that that seems to have meaning and purpose, even though the mainstream scientific view is that the universe is one big accident and my life has no purpose and I'm here for a moment long enough to go, what the heck, and I'm gone. Now, that's not my experience of being on this journey. So how can I bring those two together? And the philosophy, which I call emergent spirituality, is a attempt to make that happen. And what's been exciting so far is it seems to be resonating with a lot of people in the way that it, it also resonates, obviously, with me. Yeah, the... Uh, what, did you, what did you make of it, Phil? Well, what well, did you make? This, this is, I mean, this is what we're going to... I, I want to I get, get into this because... Uh, when I said at the top of the show that you are uh, one of the world's most original thinkers, I mean, uh, I'm, and you could take what I just said with a grain of salt, but one of the great things that I've been able to do with this with this radio show, even though I'm not doing it as much as I used to, is I've been able to talk to many if of the world's greatest thinkers, from Paul Steinhardt and Lee Smolin. On the on the scientific front, to Amika Swami, Jude Kurovan, Dean Radin, and Tim Freak. I mean, I I so, and, and frankly, I search out people like Tim because I think that's what makes for an interesting show. And one of the one of the things I wanna I wanna say here in the beginning is that I think it is essential that we don't lose sight. That this that this uh, soul story, this understanding of who we are, is the great project of our time and of all time, and that despite yeah. and that and that despite political leanings, and economic uh, crises, and and uh, wars and and uh, battles and debates and and climate change and everything else, this is the great project because we cannot keep our eye we, we can't get our eye off the ball here and you know in in America as you probably know in the US uh, things you know we're very it's becoming incredibly political and it's important to me not to not to keep our eye off the ball not to get our eye off the ball so we have to keep going back to this because i think ultimately tim what the challenge is is to bring bring these these concepts down to earth is yeah to, because you know, why you're why you're completely right is because it seems to me that everything we do depends on what we think this is right. what is it that we are in right now right what is this process of life what is the universe Right. So, so a philosophy like the emergent spirituality and soul story, it, it it is a story. It tells a story which allows us to exp understand what we're in. And are you, are you okay if I just lay out the sure, basics of sure, the sure, sure. emergent I, spirituality? Sure, sure. I think that I think I think that'll be good. The, I I, I want to add. I want. I'm sorry. I I want to add that what what you said in the, uh, in one of your initial remarks. That that I like you to um, talk about is this concept of the time stream, which which I thought was incredibly original. And you said before, you know, when I asked you whether this was your life's work, um, and and I kind of thought it was because you know I've read some of your other work, and this is this is trying to put it together, and 
you know, the notion that we're moving through time and building upon the past, I think, sort of is has both an individual truth and a cultural global truth. So, so without sort of um, deviating from that, I, I wanted to just make that point that this that the time stream is a, is a really a cool thing. So, so let me let me just now set the table a little bit for you because. We have, as I said at the top, we have this ongoing debate, science, religion, souls in the middle. This is the way I'm looking at it. And so, and so Tim, how, how have you approached this in, 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 through modern eyes? I mean, what, what, what insights from your, your history, your experience, your research, your thinking uh, led you to take the approach that you, t- that you took in this book? I think the thing which led me to take the approach was really uh, just my own thinking. I, I, I came to the point where I wasn't finding what I was looking for, so I just spent a huge amount of time walking and thinking and examining my actual life experience. And where I've ended up is, I mean, the essence of the of what I'm doing, I think, is, is very simple, but it expands out in, in quite a deep, fully comprehensive way. But it starts with a simple insight, which is, what we're in is a process of evolution. Science took on that term, of course, with the idea of biological evolution. But then 100 years ago, the huge revelation with the Big Bang was, oh, no, not just biology, but before biology, a whole, whole universe has evolved over something like 13.8 billion years. We had a, a first phase of evolution, uh, which was all about the formation of the physical cosmos and then simple life forms and then complex life forms and all the diversity of life now the the mainstream scientific narrative ends there it it ends with that and then we but but actually the latest thing in that evolutionary process which is, seems incredibly significant to me, is what we call psyche. And the, the word psyche is the ancient Greek for soul. It's what for centuries has been called the soul. Now, that word is used in lots of do- theological ways. I'm not using it in that way. I'm using it in its original uh, uh, meaning, which is very simple, which is to say, right now, you are having, as I am, as every human being is, two distinct experiences. We're experiencing being a biological body in a physical world, and we're experiencing another dimension of reality altogether, which isn't made of things. It's made of ideas or memories. It's the imagination or the mind or the psyche or the soul. It doesn't matter what word you use. The important thing is to see what it's referring to. And it's very clear, and we all experience it. In fact, this whole conversation is happening in it. Because in the physical world, I'm just making funny noises, and they're being conveyed by a microphone and the internet and speakers, and and the air is vibrating. But what everyone who's listening to me is hearing is meaning. And there's no meaning in the physical world. The meaning is in this other dimension of soul or imagination. Now, mainstream science looks purely at the world it can measure with the senses that's its interest and then it dismisses the imagination it's just imagination as if it's nothing it's just imagination it's a byproduct of the physical brain that's all it is whereas what i suggest is that we having having looked at evolution and gone oh look it's not just biological evolution there's a previous phase of physical evolution now we need to go oh look there's a phase of evolution after biology which is soul evolution 
where this other level has emerged. Now, throughout the whole of the evolutionary process, it has been emergent. That's a very popular term right now, and I yeah. think a very important one, which means it's constantly seen the emergence of completely new things. You know, there was once no hydrogen, and then there was. There was once no water, and then hydrogen and oxygen got it together, and then there was. There were once no galaxies, and then there was. There was once no life, and then there were single cells. There was once no sensation, and then there was eyes. New things are coming into existence all the time. And in that process of emergence, the latest thing to emerge is this completely other dimension which is, we're experiencing it right now, the imagination or the soul. So what I suggest is that we need to see three distinct great phases in the evolutionary process, matter, biology, and soul. And that science really is concerned with physics and then obviously with coming on to biology, which it wrestles with but not so well. And then what spirituality has always been concerned with is this third phase of soul evolution. And if we can understand that and see that, well, I guess that the, the, the way of putting it in a nutshell is that everything has evolved, everything has been emerging, then we've arrived at this latest, this, this leading edge of evolution, which is the arriving of a whole dimension of soul, which if you go into it through meditation or taking shamanic power plants or all sorts of things, there's a whole, there's a whole universe out there to explore actually in soul okay. and and i suggest it's also a place where we can go and experience um in when the body dies okay. so that's that's a very broad and you know sweeping overview yeah yeah and there's a lot there and luckily uh i think one of the tasks we have whether it's science philosophy or religion is is keeping things simple because my own view is that life life is is actually pretty simple and it's and we we tend to try to make things all complicated because a lot of science and engineering quantum physics and everything is so complicated we think that you know the spirituality has to be has to be tricky as well i, I so so i so i do think that the story you're telling is 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 simple and and aligns with spiritual traditions but let me let me ask you a question. Are are you of the view that consciousness arose from matter? Where are you no. on that? Okay. No. I mean, I'd like I'd like to actually hold that question okay. and just return to your okay. previous point, which okay. was very pregnant, and I I didn't address it, which was about time. Is that okay? Sure. You mentioned this idea of the time stream because fundamental to how I want to tell that story is an understanding of time. Because when I when I look at this moment. What I see before me, the, the, the reality that presents itself is ever-changing experience. An ever-changing experience is time. That, that's what time is, change. So it seems to me that time is fundamental. It's what reality is made of. And that's obvious if we just look right now. And when people say it's an illusion, I, I don't think they thought it through, really, because even the sentence, time is an illusion, would not make sense unless there was time, because you wouldn't know where it started and where it ended. So time is fundamental. And... What happened? What, what what began? What you know? We call it the Big Bang. There's a crazy name. It's an insult name. It was used as a joke right. because the Big Bang wasn't big and it wasn't a bang, right. but uh, it, was, it was very small <laughs> and it didn't make any noise. Yeah. So look, we need a new name, and and I call it Moment Zero because what happened was that time started, and I call it as you said, I call it the time stream. That's what I see before me right now. The time stream started to roll. 
And that's what reality is. And I want to add to that, as you as you implicated, a a new way of understanding the nature of time, because we use this metaphor that time passes. So the past is gone. We've lost it all. We're just all we've got is this now. We're hovering in a now, and the rest, the future is unknown, and the past is gone, and we're just adrift in this constant moment. But I'm not sure that's true, because I think a better metaphor for time is that time accumulates, by which I mean there's more past now than there was when we started talking on this show. There's more past now than there was when you and I were children. There's more past now when the first human beings evolved. There's more past now than when the galaxy first came into all of it. And everything that has ever happened, it seems to me, hasn't disappeared. It's actually implicit in the moment. Everything that's ever happened is is implicit in the now. If it wasn't, this wouldn't be what this moment so that everything, you know, you inviting me on the show, people deciding to listen, the evolution of life, everything is implicit in this moment. So this moment right now is, it seems to me, where all of the past meets the possible. And, and, and the, the present moment is contains everything that has been, and yet it's always realizing a new possibility. So that there's never been a moment which is like any other moment. It's always new. It's always a new possibility. So that the, that the past is expanding. And as it expands, it is realizing new possibilities. Now, because of that, because the past is implicit, the information which makes up the universe, because I'm saying, look, you, me, the whole universe, everything is made of time. We're not things in the moment. We're processes made of time. Everything is a process. Everything is made of time. And everything is made of its past. That's what makes it what it is. So I am Tim. I'm everything I've experienced. I'm meeting Philip. It's everything you've experienced. And that's true of everything. It's true of the universe itself. And this so is, it's expanding, yeah. realizing new possibilities. And because of that, there's more and more past, which means there's more and more information, which means there's a tendency towards evolution and the emergence of deeper and deeper possibilities because it's building on everything that's gone before. And that's the current that has led us through physical, biological, and then soul evolution to this moment now where we've gone from hydrogen 13.8 billion years ago to you and I having this whole conversation about cosmology in a non-material dimension we call the imagination. And that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, just extraordinary. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love, I love speaking with a fellow philosopher. I mean, it's, 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 it's refreshing. Um, and this is the kind of thing that uh, you know, I went, I went to a small college, and uh, I was lucky to uh, have, you know, go to a place that was free thinking and uh, small, and and we were able to have. Um, you know, conversations where there was no holds barred, and I, I like, and I, and I love talking to with with Tim because, you know, we both, uh, I think, ap approach things from a very uh, boundaryless uh, standpoint. Uh, a, a couple, a couple things there. I mean, I love personally. I love the concept of time. Let's let's talk about time for a second. And to me, of all concepts, I think it's one of the hardest to define. And I, I myself. And I'm going to ask for your input on this. I myself have struggled with it, uh, like many other concepts. But uh, to me, I think that some people, and I think the the um, 
the standard approach is to treat time along the lines of the second law of thermodynamics, or put differently, that time time leads to a deterioration. It leads to it 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 runs down. That when people think about time, oh, well, I only have a certain amount of time to get something done. Or you know, and, and then we of course have death and the end of things, and it's it's sort of it, it, it's implicit in in the way we view time that there's some kind of deterioration, and I don't like that, and I don't accept it uh, because I I do know, and this is where I have a hard time with it. I I do think that a time, if nothing else, is I call it. Uh, change in the forward direction because because I can't think yeah. of any other way to put it and and I yeah. love I I love the concept of evolution because to me and that's another it you know evolution is it's it's a very difficult concept I mean um, because the 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 Darwinians don't want to um, admit or concede that evolution may lead to improvement or, or that there's any goal. You know, the whole the whole uh, uh, debate between um, religion and science and the Darwinians and the spiritualists in, in many ways is that the Darwinians do believe in evolution, but they don't think there's a goal. Because to say there's a goal is to say there's some mind or some intelligence that's directing things, right? And, and so... Where I'm coming from, I think where you're saying is that there is a goal. <laughs> there is a goal. There's this awakening. There's some kind of greater. Yeah. Well, the way I'm trying to deal with that, Philip, is to is because I'm a, I'm I'm aware of that, and 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 also you can see why they say that. You know, I have immense yeah. respect for them because because you know when you look at 120 million years of dinosaurs for instance it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere it just feels like well what was the purpose of that so you know if there was some great cosmic uh, d- aim to get to us or get to soul there was a massive detour at that point and you think why so it looks more random so what i've done in the book and i've tried to deal with a lot of these things you know which obviously we're only getting to talk about in in a very superficial way now but which is to say look i think there is a fundamental purpose to the nature of reality unlike modern science and that is this since moment zero time has been unfolding and um, and through that process potentiality has been realized you know what can we say was before the big bang well we surely we can at least say this what was before the universe was the potential for the universe the potential for everything that's come since was there before so or in in you know implicitly before that moment so it's been realizing those possibilities first very basic possibilities but then increasingly complex and deep possibilities so i think we can say not that not that the universe has a purpose but that its purpose is inherent in its nature which is the unfolding of the time stream to realize greater and greater emergent possibilities and we're still in that process now so when you get that then you can say well that's not going in any particular direction for a long time which is why it's slow and random. And when it reaches life, it's not going, there's no one running it. There's no no supermind going this direction because if there is, he's mad because why would you do di- dinosaurs? But rather, there is the, the drive towards the realization, the self-realizing universe, realizing deeper and deeper things. It, but he doesn't know where it's going. Not until we reach soul. Once we reach imagination, 
then it does know where it's going because we are the universe having reached the place where we can think about the future think we can we can have a conscious purpose so now the purpose inherent in the nature of time is now conscious and we can experience the creativity which has always been there as our ability to choose so we are the universe now taking it in a definite direction and we can we are choosing right now what that direction is okay and, and what role we will play in the evolutionary unfolding okay so that that is very similar to i think that's very similar to the way i would view it which is and this is a, a you know sort of a 20,000 foot uh, description but if you look at history uh, and particularly with, with the scientific worldview where the outer controls the inner or the objective material world controls the soul or controls what we are, we move from a state where we, where we think that we are at the mercy of forces and particles to a point where we realize that there is a greater depth to us, which is this, what you call the soul or the mind or consciousness. And consciousness comes to understand that it, it is all reality, sort of like what Hegel said, and, and that uh, with that, you start taking control or you start having more input into the direction of time. You see, this is this is where when when you when you said before about the time stream, and about how we are today in accumulation of the past, I don't think that could be denied, and I think that's a beautiful way to put things because you really can't argue with it. You can't argue with mm. the fact that we are here today, and we are in accumulation that that's of everything that's occurred, but I don't think you would also say that we cannot control. The time stream. Are we just rolling? Uh, in other words, are we in the middle of the Mississippi River, without any, any, no. any uh, ability to control that flow? Are we in the midst of this flow, or is there a point in time where we, where we realize that we are, we are, we, that we are the flow, that we are, that we? Are I think we we absolutely can play a role in controlling it. That's the difference between. Yeah. Uh, you and me and the Mississippi River. As yeah. far as I know, the Mississippi River can't control itself. It's just rolling. Right. But we can control it. We can control ourselves and the Mississippi River because we have this thing called the imagination, this thing in which we experience a reality not made up of physical uh, particles that obey the laws of physics, but right. rather images which we can manipulate at will. And this is a whole new level of plasticity. It's a it's a level of reality. That's the I guess the the major message I'm trying to get across here is that not just a byproduct of something, but actually a level of reality in its own right, which is plastic, which is which is which is where choice reigns. So once the evolutionary process has arrived at soul, we're into a whole new ballgame, which is why evolution since soul has been like an express train. And it's getting faster and faster all the time because we've changed the the earth, the area that we have some control over beyond recognition in good and bad ways. Yeah. But we have through the use of the imagination. That's what we're doing. Yeah, no. um, and and okay. when you said about consciousness, I don't know. Do you want me to just pick up on the question which we, we left behind earlier about does consciousness come from matter? Yeah, yeah, be... yeah. I want, I, I want to, I want to um, talk about consciousness. And first of all, this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. 
I'm fortunate to have on the show Tim Freaky, who is the author of many books, including the new book that just came out called Soul Story, Evolution, and the Purpose of Life. And we're talking uh, here about uh, how uh, life evolves and how consciousness evolves. And, and we're going to focus right now on this this view of consciousness. And then along those lines, Tim, and I do want to talk about this. I have in front of me, and I did this because of uh, your discussion in the book, uh, issue of New Scientist from May says, "What's the point of consciousness?" This is the this is the the title of the this is the um, the the cover story, the accidental evolution of our unique minds, and and I think that this sort of to me gives a contrast, which is and uh, which is to me material science, mechanistic science, consciousness tends to be an afterthought. Um, and and I think that that is one of the distinctions that we may have in this alternate view. But going back to my question, and and you you're um, you're ready with a response here with with which is the deep mystery: did consciousness come first, or the or did it evolve from the brain, as as uh, modern science says? Where do you stand in this uh, dichotomy? Well, I'm looking for for a different perspective altogether okay. because I don't, you know, for, I don't find either satisfactory. This in philosophy, there's fundamentally two perspectives. I think one of which you could call objectivist, and the other subjectivist. And the objectivist view is what's real is the objective world, and consciousness, our subjectivity, has arisen from it. But what's real, the foundation, is the objective world. Then the other view, which is found in most forms of spirituality traditionally and in philosophies like idealism and so forth, is the opposite, which says, no, 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 you wouldn't be aware of anything if it wasn't for the reality of consciousness. And really, the world is like a dream. It's, it's, a, it's images arising within consciousness. So, so fundamentally, even if it's in the mind of God, this is in consciousness. Now, the moment I would say we've almost got an east-west split where the east is still pushing consciousness is the base and the west has very much gone down a route of going no no matter is the base or matter's been dismissed I don't think any physicists are really materialists anymore but some kind of objectivity whether it's energy or physicalism I don't like either of those I, I'm a paralogical thinker I think in paradoxes and in opposites um, and that doesn't work for me. What I what I see is something before both subjectivity and objectivity, which Hegel you mentioned he called it spirit, and I've followed him, and, and I've called it spirit too. But really, it's it's possibility. I said earlier that the time stream has arisen from the potentiality for everything. Now, it, that's what is that? Who knows? It's a formless potentiality from which everything has arisen, and. What we can see is when it arises, it, I suggest it has immediately both an objective form and a subjective form right the way through, by which I mean even with physical particles, there's a way that they are being read by the world around them, by other particles, and then they are reading the world around th them in very, very basic ways, like what's the electrical charge around me, or they're reacting to their environment. Anything which becomes an individual time stream within the, the great one time stream has a relationship with the whole, and that becomes subjectivity, so that each individual time stream, as it evolves, 
we see both the subjectivity and the objectivity evolving together. Now, mainstream science just talks about the evolution of the object until you reach sensation and then suddenly from nowhere this subject appears. That's really problematic. What I'm suggesting is that we have to understand the whole evolutionary process as both objective which is fundamentally, you know, physicists today are going, look, matter is really information. So what we're seeing is the evolution of objective information. And then subjectively, we're seeing subjective experience of that information. It's just by experience, I don't mean what we're experiencing. I don't mean anything to do with being conscious. Something very primitive will become the the way that a plant reads the light around it from the sun, will become the very first eye, will become sensation, and then will eventually become uh, soul, this other thing we're having. All of that is the evolution of subjectivity. So where's consciousness come? Consciousness is a certain stage, hard to pin pan exactly when, but it's a certain stage along the process of evolving subjectivity. And it's the stage, I suggest, when a subjective time stream, um, an animal would be at that stage, is going, I'm experiencing sensation and I know I am. And that's when you could say someone is actually conscious rather than it just happening mechanically. And and then we've taken it to a whole new level because we're experiencing it in soul and we really know we exist and we're we're able to explore that existential reality and and, and what we're experiencing when we experience that, when I go, I know that I am, I'm really experiencing the essence of my being, and the essence of my being is that spirit, is that potentiality from which everything's arrived. So we can say when we look at this moment, oh, it all it's all in consciousness and subjectively that would be true then. But we could also say that it's also all objective information because it's both of those at once. <clears throat> yeah, that that is that is very original. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand. Uh, OK, are you saying that in what we would call inanimate Objects like particles, atoms, molecules, rocks. I mean that that they that they are. I don't want to use the word conscious, but but that they're part of the. Uh, but you said that they have their own time stream. Is that? Is yes, that, I'm saying, and this it is hard to get because of the language. Right. But I think it's it is what I'm saying. When you get it, is quite straightforward. What I'm saying is that anything which is an individual thing, a coherent holon, right, which has its own nature. Which is actually some, which is a time stream, because everything which exists is a process in time, or made of time, that will have an objective nature, which is how it is read by the world around it. Right. But it will also have a subjective nature, which is how it reads the world around it. Okay. Now, for a for a particle, that can be simply, you know, what's the electrical charge around me? For a chemical, it can be, oh, I react with this other chemical by exploding, and I react with this other chemical by forming a great a compound. But it's reacting to the what to its environment, and that is a that's a primitive subjectivity, and that primitive subjectivity will become eventually consciousness. Okay, so there's a lot here, and I I, I want to first of all, um, there there is a, I think the classic. Um, narrative on this is from Pierre Del Jardin, The Phenomenon of Man, where he he goes he goes from, you know, sort of material evolution, he goes through Darwin, and then he says uh, consciousness evolves 
until it realizes that there is a supermind. And, you know, it, yeah. it's very similar to Ken Wilber, and it's similar to a lot of the Eastern tradition. But I think that, that Pierre Deljardin, assuming I'm pronouncing his name even close to right, uh, is, is, is one of the, you know, he's the guy that sort of takes Darwin beyond where any where any of the the orthodox folks would take him because he but it, it makes sense when you think about it because if the if the darwinians are saying that consciousness evolves from the brain then the question is well does consciousness just stop there or does it continue to evolve and and i'm just wondering in that sort of motif uh the 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 Pierre Deljardin motif. I mean, how, how does your picture compare to that? Uh, uh, if you understand, my I question. think he is definitely a four. Uh, you know, I'm definitely standing on his shoulders. Yeah. I didn't know it because I wasn't that familiar with his work until after I written the book, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, having gone back to it and looked at a bit since then, I've realised, yeah, he was definitely uh, saying things which are very resonant with this, as there as others have as well of course yeah. um, and what you get from him is that same movement and what so what i'm saying for the transition into soul is that we need to get rid of the idea of things the world is made of information in time time streams and that that information that unfold that accumulation of time has arisen as these different levels physical biological and now soul and once it exists on the soul level there is information now on a level which is not made of biology. It's not even made of matter. It's soul. It's information on a whole different level. And once it's there, it, it develops an independence from the body. Now, one of the ways of, that sounds very strange, but but one of the ways you can get that is you can say, look, your your body is made of matter. It's made of physical chemicals, but it isn't those chemicals. It's it's a greater thing than all of those chemicals because individual cells, indeed individual atoms, are coming and going all the time. I'm told that there's not a single atom in my body that was there 10 years ago, but I'm the same body. And yet it physically, I'm a completely different one, utterly different in every way. So it's the information which makes up the biological level, which is continuous, not what it, not the physic physicality of it. In the same way, once the information arrives on the soul level, it has a it develops an it is it, it 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 transcends the less emergent level. And one of the ways that you can get that in for me, affects how we see the great idea of spirituality, which is that once we arrive at soul, soul becomes immortal. Clearly, on the biological level, there's life and death. That's what marks, that's the characteristic of the biological level. It's not the characteristic of the level before it, and I don't think it's the characteristic of the level after it. So that in soul, you, this is a very crude analogy, but it can help people get some idea of what I'm playing with here. If you think about a computer, like the computer I wrote my book on, it looks like it looked like my book was information on the computer. And if the computer was to crash or, or spill coffee on it, then they'd all be lost. But actually, my book, the information, was on the cloud. It was on the computer, but it was simultaneously on the cloud, which meant if the computer was to be destroyed, the book was not lost. All that information was still there on another level. The, the, the computer was local. I could touch it. Here it is. But it also existed on a non-local transcendent level in this metaphor, which was everywhere and, and, and existed independently. 
Yeah, what I'm suggesting is that right now, not just after death, but right now, that is also true, which is why I experience sensation as being from this point of view where Tim is sitting. But my my thoughts, my imagination doesn't exist in space. It isn't anywhere. It, it's, it's, it exists in a completely uh, different dimension, which is non-spatial in that way. It has no location. And so we're already experiencing that. And the revelation for me is that's a reality. It's not just anything. It is, a, it is the most emergent reality. And we can then frame the great question, does the soul survive death, very simply by going, you know that experience we're having right now of imagination, of dreaming? Does that continue when the body dies? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, okay, so this is, it, it, there's a lot, obviously, there, there's, there's a lot here, and we are touching upon some of these perennial topics, and the beauty of it is, is that, uh, Tim, you're giving this a refreshed perspective. Uh, I, I really uh, like the, um, this, I'm starting to understand the objective versus the subjective, and in my mind, I'm thinking of somebody like, um, let's say, William Shakespeare. If you look at it, if, if if you don't know the guy and you look at him from the outside, you say this is just a normal guy with a beard and long hair. Um, but the richness of his creativity, which is spawning from inside, is is incredibly rich. And I feel like, um, and maybe this is not where you're going, but I feel like um, what hit me was when, when we look at the physical universe, nature being the best description, it's, it's there. We look at it objectively. We look at the world of people objectively from the outside in. We don't realize sort of the, the incredible three-dimensional depth uh, of, of, of the universe. And, and I think what you're saying, and what I would say, is that at that core, there is, there is imagination, there is consciousness, there is all these things that are at the root of, of reality. And the scientific worldview sort of um, discounts, if not ignores, this, this inner purpose, this, or this inner realm um, because yes because, and yes and no, Phil. Okay. Yes and no. Okay. In, in the in the I am saying that, but I'm saying what I'm, I, let me frame it like this. Okay. The, the great challenge I want to offer to science is to go. Evolution has not ended with biology. There's also a whole other level of evolution, which is the evolution of soul, and it's a, a completely. A different emergent reality and you, and we must take that seriously and you and it's not you can't measure it with the senses because it's not made of matter and it's not biological it's something altogether yeah that's what i want to say to science but then to spirituality i've also got a challenge to spirituality or traditional spirituality i want to go all those things you think of as existing forever or being there at the beginning like the the, the soul dimension the, the heaven um uh, god um, the soul itself which is all, all these things which are seen as kind of pre-existing the universe beyond time or 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 um greater than the, the physical world i want to say Actually, none of that really makes sense. But what does make sense is seeing that they have also evolved. But it's just that in the evolutionary process, the deepest things arrive last. 
you know, it didn't start with soul, didn't start with us having this conversation, it started with hydrogen. It eventually got here because it needed to build up all of that information before this was possible. Now this is possible so that so that in every respect we are seeing the deepest, most emergent possibilities arriving last so that the, the soul world, the soul itself, the, the world we experience after death, the so you know, we call it heaven or whatever you want to call that, the, the, what I call it the imaginos, the realm of the imagination, has evolved. What we experience after death has evolved. The way that our minds can interact with physical reality has evolved. Everything that spirituality studies has also evolved and come actually relatively recently because the, the deeper thing comes last. Let, let's let's talk about evolution here for a second, because uh, you know, in in our intellectual world, it, mostly science. I mean, it's 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 remarkable to me how much how much uh, credit and how much weight we put on the concept of evolution. And I'm not, and it really is coming from the scientists. I mean, I am. I have read so many uh, accounts in these science magazines about explaining anything by natural selection. I mean, it could be, you know, the sex life of a bumblebee or the Venus flytrap. <laughs> I mean, everything. Well, it must have evolved. It must have had a a survival benefit, and therefore it evolved, and therefore it's there. It's like it's like the all-purpose uh, explanatory tool. When you use the word evolution like you like you have been, what do you mean by evolution? For me, the, the, the biological phase of evolution is just one phase. Okay. And I think that's true for science. I think what the problem is that often biologists haven't caught up with physicists. And physics yeah. is still the, you know, the real leading edge of science. And physics has for a long time been going, look, the whole thing's evolving. So clearly evolution cannot be about genetic mutation because there was no genetics when gases were first evolving. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like exactly. there's a process which transcends you know, whether Darwin's wrong or right. You know, it's it's clearly natural. If there is some natural selection, if that's right in some permutation, it is a phase of evolution. It didn't characterize the previous phase and it certainly doesn't characterize the soul phase so that we need to see the whole concept in a much more cosmological sense than than it, than it's than just the sense that darwin articulated which by the way i think was genius i mean an incredibly powerful idea whether it tells the whole story i don't think so but it tells enough of the story to be very interesting the essential thing which you know which i take from from that view in the biological level and maybe on all levels is there's a creativity to the universe which throws up new possibilities all the time every moment is a new possibility and sometimes it throws up radically new possibilities like the beginnings of a new species and then whether that time stream will continue and flourish will depend on whether it can fit in if it can fit in with the with the whole it will continue and flourish and bring something new into the universe. But if if at that moment it can't fit in with the whole, then it then it will it will fall away and another new possibility will arise. And that seems to me something like the underlying process which is going on a creative um, mo moment again, which doesn't feel controversial because every new moment is creative. Everyone is different, uh, and from that sometimes radically new possibilities, which can become established or not, depending on whether they can find a, a healthy or a continuing relationship with the whole. 
Well, one of one of the you know I I'm not a big fan of Darwinian evolution, and there's there's a there's a book called Evolution 2.0. I had the author on my guest a couple months ago. Um, that's that's actually a, a very a very good critique of it. And there's, and, and there's a lot of critiques of Darwinianism out there. But but putting that to the side for a moment, one of the one of the problems I have with um, Darwinianism, and this goes to to the whole issue of evolution. I would I would say evolution is is a method of change, and I'm going to say a method of improvement that builds upon itself. But the problem I have is what's the driving force? And what, what, is, what, is pushing, what is pushing this urge to change? What is pushing everything? And, and you know, it's, to me it's easier because people say, well, it's the will to live. Well, that's, that's good. Um, that sounds a little spiritual to me to say the will to live. But in, in the spiritual world, I think it's an easier question because I would say the, 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 the answer is because the soul wants to know itself. That's, that's what I yes, think. Yes, I, I think, I mean, I think that's right. But, but what I would suggest is that the way that we can unite all of these disparate worlds together is going, look, th- there's a fundamental uh, thing which I mentioned before in the nature of time itself which is to realize new possibilities. And because that inherently means the buildup of more and more past, it means a tendency to realize more and more emergent possibilities. So what can we see in the evolution of the universe? A continual emergence of greater and greater levels of realization. Now, there's a kind of randomness to that, it, which, which is, you know, again, the dinosaurs are a great and funny example, but it's everywhere. And yet throughout it, the past accumulates. So there's always more past and therefore the new thing will build on that and build on that and build on that. And then when you reach consciousness, when you reach a time stream like you and I that can actually exist in the imagination and ask these questions and consider things, that same process, which had been going on since the beginning of time, now can happen consciously because the soul wants to know itself. So you could say the whole universe wants to know itself. It's a self-realizing universe. It want, there's the, or rather, the great potentiality, spirit as I call it, the great wants to know what it is. And therefore, it's realizing itself on primitive levels and then more emergent levels and then more and then biological and then, and then soul. And when it reaches soul, it knows that it wants to know itself. And from then on, the spiritual journey starts to happen, and we have philosophy, and we have awakening, and and this really deep level of Gnothi Seton in the Greek, you know, know yourself, the great uh, right. instruction in the ancient world, that suddenly takes off. Yeah, well, I, I think that um, when I started off, or at some point I, I said that this is the great project of our time, uh, I, don't, I don't want to... Um, End the show by not asking you another big question, which um, which is coming. But I want to I want to uh, observe here that there has there there is only one world, and and leaving aside the whole multiverse thing, which which is to me just complete speculation. But we know there's at least one world, and and science and religion are two different sort of stories, two different viewpoints. And to me, this project is really sort of uniting the two and finding some kind of common ground. And it can only be 
through some kind of evolution, some kind of transcendence. But I want to ask you the question, Tim, having studied this for most of your life and having written this this incredibly original book, um, Soul Story, what what you think the future holds for science and religion? What what do you think is actually going to happen in the concrete physical world and in, in, in the in in modern culture here? Do you think we're always going to have people like us sitting around talking about it? What do you think that? And nothing th- really changes, or do you think that something is actually going to evolve in the in the? Physical? I think we're we're heading for something completely new, because if I look at you know what is what what you're talking about is absolutely right, but what is that? It is the evolution of soul, which is the evolution of what stories we've told to explain reality. And to begin with, those were mythological stories; they were pre-rational stories, and that gave birth to religion. And and it was about the soul because the soul is the most obvious thing we experience and people looked at it and went oh look i'm having this experience of a level of reality which isn't made of matter therefore i exist in another realm and it was obvious to them and that's what they experienced but they didn't understand the physical realm very well at all they thought it was all soul it was all alive with soul and that's all they saw and that led to some problems and then we had the, the birth of the the enlightenment the rational era came in which was about oh let's examine the physical and biological world and actually see how it is and that gave birth to what has become known as science incredibly powerful wonderful movement in our collective story the price was that was paid was suddenly soul which was stage center became an appendage of no particular interest even though actually everything that scientists say they're saying it in soul science exists only in soul there's no science in the world of biology or physics it's all in the imagination yeah but that's not you know the the great changes and jumps have all happened when we've seen it in a whole new way so i think there's another big cat uh, huge shift waiting which is what i hope is a kind of a rational spirituality which goes these two fit together within an evolutionary narrative whereby we can understand the totality of our experience, which is both physical and cause and effect, biological and also soul, also spiritual, is also one of magic, also one of meaning, also one in which story, the fact that we live our lives as story, isn't appendage, isn't something we add on to life, but is actually the very fabric of this emergent reality. A bit like if you think of a computer game. You've got the physical level, which is ones and zeros, the basic level. Then you've got the operating system, which is maybe like biology level. And then you've got the story, the game. And and that's not just nothing on the top. That's the whole point. And that, that, what, that, that what you and I are experiencing, the, the story of Philip, the story of Tim, as we make our journey through life and beyond, that's what it's all been evolving towards. And that's not a th- something we add on to reality. That is reality. It's the flowering of reality. Yeah, that that's a. I, I love the flowering uh, metaphor because I think that that accurately describes what uh, what we're in for. And you know, at at some point, uh, I think we will be very lucky and very, I think, happy to learn that this is a natural process. I mean, um, there's few scientists that would say that evolution is not a natural process, and there's many of them that says that, you know, evolution, natural selection is as, is as 
well grounded as the law of gravity. There are there are folks that say that. Well, if that's true, and we apply that to to the soul, then then it's inevitable, and that we're going yeah. to reach this point where we have more of an awakening, where we where we start awakening to this to this greater, more um, global uh, viewpoint. And I think that that's what, frankly, Tim, it's got to happen for for um, for us to survive. I mean, I don't I don't think I don't yes. think that I don't think the politicians are, are ever I, I don't think that we're ever going to see Gandhi or, um, you know, or whoever. Uh, another savior come down and and wave a wand and make something happen. It's it's going to have to come from the inside, and you say flower. Now, we, there's so much that we have not been able to touch upon. We've not come to the. I did. I, I was not able. I mean, we did not even come to the the uh, after after death ex, or the near death experiences, which I think is really cool. And uh, there's a, there's so much in your there's so much in your book. I I want to. Um, before I give you a couple uh, moments here to comment, I, I want to make sure that I just say uh, read a couple of f- phrases, a couple of phrases that caught my attention from your book. And one of them is, and I, I'll just I'll just do this one. If we want to spiritually awaken, we need to become autonomous enough to lift our own level of consciousness beyond what is normal in the culture or subculture we identify with. And I think that that really hit me because I think that's exactly what has to happen. So, um, again, folks, uh, there is so much here, and and Tim and I are we both have a philosophy uh, background, so we tend to get into this. But there, but each of these topics, I think we can go on and on um, for forever, which is fun. But Tim, uh, in terms of your final comments here. Uh, it, to leave the to leave the listeners with, uh, what what would you like to um, to say here uh, to sort of wrap this up? Unfortunately, we come to the end. Um, well, it's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, let me just say, just as as uh, practical things, if anyone wants to actually find out more, um, I, I, my name's easy to find because it's odd if you spell it F R E K E. Come to my website. There's loads of free material there. There's also on Facebook. There's a there's a forum group where we're discussing all these ideas. So I really want to engage with. Uh, each person individually and and really see uh, whether this philosophy is making sense to them so if, if I was to just to, to take our conversation and want to go where did where do I think it it wants to end I would say this that the reason we have a soul crisis that's where you started us with is because we have understood so much about the basic least emergent levels of reality. We understand a lot about the physical universe that our ancestors don't, and a fair amount about the biological universe, which our ancestors didn't. Uh, But it's left us with a very negative worldview. It's left us thinking that there is no purpose to life. It's left us thinking that we're here for a short moment, and then we're dead, and that is the end of it. It's left us thinking that everything we've been, everything that makes us who we are, is gone, and we're just left adrift in the moment. I want to suggest that actually what we're in right now is an extraordinary cosmic process of evolving and emerging 
which has been going on for billions of years and has led to you and I, and that we are forming as individual soul streams, currents of time, which makes which made of everything we've been, and that the soul stream has arisen and evolved from the biological body, but now transcends it completely and is able to survive the death of the body and will move into and out of relationship with the body in, an ev- in a continual process of evolution in which it becomes more and more conscious, knows itself in deeper ways, until it can reach the point where it begins to glimpse that what it really is is the potentiality for everything, realizing itself in this particular way. And then there's the experience we call spiritual awakening, which is this all-embracing oneness, and with that oneness and all-embracing love. And that's what's coming through. It's just beginning. But I have no doubt that it is happening. And you and I, all of us, we are a part of that incredible cosmic process. And our lives, far from being meaningless, are more meaningful than we can possibly guess. And thank thank you very much, Tim. And I hope that folks see not only the optimism behind this way of thinking, but also the deep rationality behind it. And that is something that we can't lose sight of, that uh, I don't do this show just to talk about far-out ideas, but also really to get people here who could speak objectively about what the truth might be and about how we can change our mindsets to to further a global purpose rather than our our, our, our individual wants and needs. Uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tim. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, Visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com. 